You're listening to What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Check out all our shows on podcast.hyperx.com. Content warning. Eugenics, genocide, racism, ageism, and old men yelling at clouds. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying canopy of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Fixed period has been so far discussed as to make it almost unnecessary for me to explain its tenets, though its advantages may require a few words of argument in a world that is at present dead to its charms. It consists altogether of the abolition of the miseries, weaknesses, and feignant imbecility of old age, by the prearranged ceasing to live of those who would otherwise become old. Need I explain to the inhabitants of England, for whom I chiefly write, how extreme are those sufferings, and how great the costliness of that old age which is unable to any degree to supply its own wants? Such old age should not, we pretenuous maintain, be allowed to be. This should be prevented, in the interests of both of the young and of those who do become old, when obliged to linger on after their period of work is over. Two mistakes have been made by mankind in reference to their own race. First, in allowing the world to be burdened with the continued maintenance of those whose cares should have been made to cease, and whose trouble should be at an end. Does not the psalmist say the same? If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. And the second, in requiring those who remain to live a useless and painful life. Both these errors have come from an ill-judged and thoughtless tenderness, a tenderness to the young, not calling upon them to provide for the decent and comfortable departure of their progenitors, and a tenderness to the old, lest the man, when unrestricted and unconscious of good or evil, should be unwilling to leave the world for which he is not fitted. The Fixed Period, 1882, by Anthony Trollope. Uh, hi, welcome to What Mad Universe. I'm your host, Philip Price, and with me as always is Adam Prosser. Hello. Uh, today we're discussing a fairly obscure work from uh, 1882 called The Fixed Period about a country in the far-off future of 1980 uh, that passes a law to euthanize all citizens at the age of 68. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Hey, Joe, Brandon, do you want to review everything? No, yes. no, 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 hang on. That sounds like a lot of work. It's not. What do you mean? Yeah, it's not. Podfred Review podcast where we review everything and anything and get lost along the way. Find this podcast and more on the HyperX Podcast Network. 
Fight inflation the old-fashioned way by spending less money. Check out the HyperX store at Amazon.com to find great Prime Day deals on July 12th and 13th. Stock up on new gaming gear so you'll be equipped for the new launches and content drops. Mark your calendars and set your alarms. Deals like this won't stick around long. Okay, and we're back. Um, so, uh, Adam, you, you haven't uh, even heard of this book, right? Uh, no, I had never heard of it. Nope. Although I've heard okay. of uh, Anthony Trollope, who's the author. Uh, I didn't know oh. anything he'd written, but I, I knew the name. Okay, I hadn't. Uh, this is the only um, thing even remotely science fiction that he wrote. This is science fiction, to be clear, but this, like, he never wrote anything fantastical otherwise, apparently. Hmm. Um, uh, and this was uh, written when he was 67. Um, uh, and the... Um, uh, book, uh, the, the setting of the book has it so that uh, when you're 67, you get deposited uh, into the college where you, uh, you have a year to wait out, you know, you have a, weir, uh, a year to, to wait out until uh, the end of your life, and then you get euthanized and then cremated. Well, they um, make you sit around for a year before that as well, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, though, um, this never actually gets enacted in the book. The, the, the book is about... Um, one character named uh, John Neverbend, the president of uh, the newly established country of Britain, uh, Britannula, or possibly Britannula, there's no like pronunciation <laughs> guide. Um, I'll go with Britannula, um, which is a uh, small uh, nation founded off the coast, like uh, an island off the coast of New Zealand. That um, was formerly a British colony, but has um, uh, separated from Britain um, peacefully. Um, and established its own, you know, constitution and government set up. Um, and one of the uh, things, it, because it was um, a colony founded by, by young people, they sort of came together and thought, you know, it would be a good idea if we just killed the old people. <laughs> Apparently. Um, because, and um, the, the reasoning usually comes down uh, in the book to um, economics, uh, and it's sort of the, the ultimate uh, expression of like, like capitalism. If you can't work, you're no good. Yeah, I can see from what you read at the beginning there. It's all about, I think it actually probably goes, I mean, capitalism, yes, but it, it kind of goes beyond that because, yeah, this is around the time when eugenics and sort of how can we make society as efficient as possible with no, and everyone will be robots and we will all, we will not have any foolish emotions or like not 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 that people were that strong but there was definitely a strain of that in the late victorian era where um yeah it was efficiency at all costs was kind of a big thing yeah and they explicitly mentioned that they're they're like um one of the um uh few new countries that hasn't gone into communism um so you know that that is a, I, I have no idea about anthony trollope's actual politics but uh it, it feels like that's whether intentionally or not, it's sort of about that. You know, the, the idea that your um, your worth as a human being is is you being able to work and, and quote contribute to society. Right. Um, well, he I, I uh, apparently he uh, lived in Ireland for a bit, and I know that um, that tended to if you were at all sympathetic to the Irish in this period, you you often tended to develop more radical politics. Um, and yeah, the sort of the growth of, you, you say like the growth of communism outside of this one country 
um, which could be a boogeyman easily, yes. But I tend to think that if it, the book came out in 1882, it was probably seen more as, oh yeah, inevitably we'll advance our, ourselves into being communist rather than, um, oh no, communists are coming. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, fair. Yeah, that, that that's a throwaway line towards the beginning of the book. That it doesn't really deal with um, the politics of the outside world. It's it mentions uh, that uh, the U.S. and Russia have entered into a pact and apparently have been at war with Great Britain at sea in the past, but there's been a peace for a little while. Um, that's that's sort of the only um, uh, of the politics, the outside world that we get beyond uh, Britain, which is seems to be the same. The, this book, uh, as I mentioned, is set in 1980, so 100 years in the future, but there's been very little social change. Um, I... I think it's of a piece in some ways with uh, Napoleon of Notting Hill, which we mm. did a previous episode on, uh, where it explicitly says at the beginning there's been no social changes. Yeah, exactly. Everything's um, exactly the same, yeah. Which is just yeah. a, a literary conceit to be like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to get into that. I just want to talk about this one thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, this book doesn't outright say that because it's all written from the perspective of one character. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like a somebody looking forward sort of thing. But... Um, um, yeah, it, it very much like it just Victorian gender politics and that sort of thing. Uh, and we do get a bit of uh, technology, but it's all very uh, hokey. Um, uh, there's uh, mentions of uh, a steam tricycle and a, a steam curicle or a steam carriage. Uh, there's uh, a, a lengthy chapter in the book that's a cricket match between the uh, Britannulists and uh, the visiting English team. And uh, cricket seems to have been updated, so they allow um, tools on both sides of, uh, by the uh, teams in, like invented by the, the players. So there's um, a, uh, a steam bowler that apparently like you have to um, target and stuff, and it shoots the ball at the, at the batter. Okay. Um, or whatever they call that so it's, cricket. It's Blurn's ball then. Yeah. yeah. And there's um uh, uh spring spring bats and that sort of thing. So it's uh it's very much uh I it feels like uh, cheating the game, I guess. <laughs> they finally jazzed up cricket, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Though it, it still seems to take place over several days' time, so they didn't jazz it up that much. Hmm. And I do not understand the rules of cricket. I I wasn't even going to attempt to. <laughs> no, it's a little to, to sort of understand what they were saying. TLDR: It's a little bit like baseball, except instead of running around the bases, you just run in back and back and forth between a pitch and hitting. And you've got to like it's more elaborate than just hitting with a ball. You got to sort of knock over a set of of uh, sticks of what's called the wicket. Anyway, it's, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, it's and very it, roughly. And it literally takes place over days. Yeah, like, it can last. Yeah, uh, it can last very long. It doesn't automatically, but it can last. Yeah. Until I think you guys, you have to score six. I, I, I shouldn't talk because I don't really know all the rules either, but I know that that general. So, yeah. Uh, and there's also, um, in terms of technology, a, a, a hair telephone. So it's it's a telephone with like a a wire that's extremely thin and can be stretched over a, a mm. thing and this is for communicating between um uh, uh sailors on a boat um but it can be like taken to land and wait can you apparently can communicate you, you can but the, the the ship carries the wire around with it is what you're saying 
so that you can call them? The 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 ship is is docked in the in the harbor and oh, apparently I you can on land carry around the wire and it's connected to the ship and you can communicate instantly. <laughs> okay, that doesn't seem much better, but okay. No. Like I said, the technology yeah. it's not it's not hard sci-fi. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of uh, the more literary writers, um, all the way down to Kurt Vonnegut, when they wrote science fiction, they often just tried to tried to be kind of a silly. And we we talked about this a bit in the um, in the uh, Voltaire or the episode about Micro um, Mika. Uh, we talked about how that was like just absurd you know, satire, and, and we talked a bit about it at the beginning of the season as well, just like, there was a whole stretch where science fiction was seen as, like, deliberately cartoonish and exaggerated, it wasn't really about, like, Jules Verne was trying to make it semi-plausible, but, um, yeah. but most of them were just sort of like, and what if there was a planet where there were hats on their hands and hamburgers <laughs> ate people, and because it's all about satirizing rather than, uh, you know, coming up with a plausible future or even a, you know, even a warning as it were. Um, I think that's, I think that's kind of coming from, I probably not coming from Dickens, but like if it's the same thing where you see Dickens at his time, he's a serious literary writer, but he uses like silly names and kind of, he, mm -hmm. he's not afraid to embrace the ridiculous and, you know, Victorian era science fiction writers did the same thing. It seems like. Yeah. And this is, uh, this has a bit of the silly name thing too, uh, particularly with the main character. His name is John Neverbend, uh, as in like he, he will never bend from his, his ideas and position. Clearly. Yes. Like it's a, it's a, you know, literalized name. Most of the characters don't have those names, but uh, uh, giving that name to the main character of, of this book is is very um, on the nose. Mm. Um, intentionally so, obviously. Um, so, as I mentioned, this whole thing is written as like a memoir as he's being um, taken away by Britain uh, to stop him from enacting this law. Um, uh, it was actually, the law in the book was passed uh, decades ago but now, for the first time, uh, somebody's old enough to uh, actually be deposited, and it's his uh, his good friend um, uh, Gabriel Crassweller, who's the uh, wealthiest man in Britannula. He owns a a, a big farm with lots of sheep. Uh, again, this is off the coast of New Zealand, so uh, sheep is the um, uh, primary resource, apparently. Um, Crassweller is, although he's uh, 67. Uh, or he's approaching 67 and will be deposited very soon. Um, he's uh, seems to be in in very good health. Is you know he's mentally alert. He's working really hard, and um, uh, he seems to be starting to um, uh, try to get out of this thing that he had previously supported. Sort of a um, uh, there's a few memes. The um, uh, uh, me sowing, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> and then me reaping, yeah. oh no, <laughs> um, yeah. or uh, well, if it isn't the um, consequences, consequences of my, of my own, own actions. actions, yeah, yeah, um, and and it really does seem like he was only half-heartedly um, uh, supporting this idea because uh, um, his friend John Neverbend was really into it, um, but even then, he, like he didn't oppose it before this, right? Um, so at this point, he's he's starting to. Uh, um, make allusions to him actually being a year younger than he really is. And uh, it's obvious he's, he's trying to sort of weasel his way out of it. Uh, or weasel's a bad word because, like, he shouldn't have to go through this. But Yeah. Um, um, well, I mean, if he's partly responsible for it, then, you know. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. 
Fair. I mean, it's, uh, it's and, the, the, the leopard, another meme, the leopards eating people's faces party. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and, uh, John Neverbend is, um, it, it's sort of interesting cause he's, uh, it's like the whole book is written from the point of view of like uh, Thanos in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. You know, he's he's really hung up on this one idea. Yeah. He just thinks it's like he's just got to do it. Yeah. Um, but it's like the 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 friendly Thanos from the um uh that What If episode that they they did from the animated What If series where um he's apparently become um he's on the side of Star Lord who's T'Challa in that in that reality um and he still like brings this up like yeah i had this great idea i never really did anything with it and they would say that sounds like genocide no no see it's not genocide because it's random <laughs> yeah it, was not expecting sort of a that. thanos comparison well yeah kind of i guess he's a malthusianism uh I, that's actually to be uh, to be clear by the way uh, malthusianism is uh was a, a writer named Malthus who uh, who argued against overpopulation and on you know culling the weak and that kind of thing and that's uh, that's the the attitude that was that we saw a lot in Victorian era and even in some cases today. Um, yeah, that's basically what Thanos' whole deal is essentially. Um, although, as you say, it's quote random, and a lot of them went further <laughs> into well, these races aren't doing anyone any yeah, yeah. kind of thing, but uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, so Crassweller doesn't want to go into the college. His his daughter, uh, Crassweller's daughter, Eva, is dead set against the whole thing and is fighting against it. And um, John Neverbend's son, Jack Neverbend, is um, in love with Eva, so uh, he sides with with the um, anti-fixed-period cause. And uh, Eva's uh, uh, fiancé at, at the beginning of the story, Abraham Grendel, um, is very much in favor of the fixed period, but it's very clear that it's just because he wants um, uh, Crassweller to be killed and he can collect, you know, the uh, inheritance. Mm. Hmm. Um, and actually, it, it's interesting because John Neverbend, the, the narrator, is very aware of this. He's like none of the people on his side he really respects that much, hmm. it, it feels like. Like there's another character named Mr. Greybody who's... Um, um, the caretaker who's going to be in charge of the college and he's in favor of the fixed period, but only because he sort of just um, doesn't like life and just wants to die and thinks everybody else should want that too. Okay. Um, so he's judged death he's a, is what you're saying. Yeah. he's No, he's just a very, very um, misant, uh, misanthropic yeah. person. <laughs> okay. Like just like he's not gonna go out and kill people, but you know he's, he's just sort of you know nihilist. Um, yeah, yeah, nihilist. That's a that's a good way of putting it. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, at, at the beginning, like John Neverbend is uh, like I said, really into this idea, and he's talking about how all the great reforms, you know, how this will reform society, and you know, will will start you know tattooing the birthdays on babies and. Um, so that we'll know exactly when to deposit them, uh, when they're old <laughs> enough. Um, and it's just like these horrifying ideas, but instead with really, like a really happy, you know, um, excited tone. And it, it sort of become, comes infectious cause he's like, just really, really into this. <laughs> and at no point do you, do you agree with him, but it's sort of 
it's kind of infectious. <laughs> Interesting. So is this kind of a, as they say, a steel man? Because you mentioned Trollope was um, 67 when he wrote this, right? Like he was... The, yes. Yeah. Um, so clearly yeah, he's not to... in favor of this policy no, in any no. real way. But um, no. was he doing but, the but thing of like, I'm going to make an argument for something I don't believe in just to see if I can do it as a as a writer kind of thing? That seems to be uh, partially it, and also he was, you know, uh, aging and working out some stuff. Uh, it seems like a lot of this, uh, from from sort of other reviews I've read, um, uh, he was just sort of uh, working through his own his feelings about his own aging hmm. and um, presenting sort of arguments on why, you know, may, maybe I should be put down. Like, not seriously, but, you know, yeah. just sort of thinking through the... the the consequences of these uh, right. philosophies. That sort of reminds um, me of how, um, like, um, Isaac Asimov, uh, one of his books, I think it's Pebble in the Sky, uh, was just about a guy who suddenly gets thrown forward in the future, like millions of years into the future, and or thousands at least. And um, he, um, you know, and it's, it's like, it's kind of a metaphor for aging, and it's definitely like, because he takes a step, and he's suddenly in the future, and they don't explain it until the very end, and the Earth is really old, and he's kind of like, it seems to be a metaphor for like, yeah, one day you look up and you're really old, right? So it's that it's yeah. it's the way writers deal with our old age and they put it in their books as like a larger <laughs> sci-fi uh, concept, essentially. But yeah, uh, I I got one of those moments recently when um, I, I read a, a bit of an interview from the actress who plays uh, Uhura on, the, on Strange New World, saying she grew up watching. Uhura in the J.J. Uh, Abrams movies. <laughs> yes. Well, she's young. Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah. I know, but... <laughs> yeah. Like, she's literally... She is an adult. Yeah. Yeah. She'd be like she, college age, right, that actress? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She. I think she's in her uh, early 20s. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, you know... Crazy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, it's... it's This book is really interesting on, on that front, because... Uh, you know, knowing any, you know, knowing the age of the author, you you know that uh, this isn't actually mm-hmm. uh, an argument presented in earnest, but it's um, it is um, possibly too fair examination of these ideas. Hmm. Well, again, um, these these were not mil- like it sounds like he's doing a bit of a, a, a modest proposal kind of thing, but yeah. Um, it's not too far off from some ideas that people did have at the time. And of course it always breaks down to like it, the most science fiction about this to me, from what you're describing, the most science fictional thing is that the guy who uh, enacted the policy would actually have to live by it because that, that kind of policy would never like when it's being proposed, it's always like, yeah, but it's not going to affect me. And of course they're, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the landed gentry it's more about well we have to cull the the poor people it's better for them really if we just uh you know keep their numbers down that kind of thing that because that's always where the basics you know no matter how yeah. enlightened you pretend to be that's always where it's coming from right it's it's uh yeah the, the masses are go to control yeah but in this case he's he genuinely does not understand why other people aren't accepting of this idea like mm. that you know people would want to live yeah it, it's it's really weird like he's he's horrified at his friend Crassweller for being a coward for wanting to back out and he keeps wishing like if only i were the first to be deposited then i could go in and show everybody and then they'd all follow my example but then he worries if i did that then maybe they just would stop at me and there would be nobody else to carry out this idea right um yeah yeah so he sort of goes back and forth on that 
he does he does waver a bit in um, in specifics in, in in this policy, but he he's really stuck on, on this idea. Hmm. Um, that's you know uh, so, this is maybe it's maybe it's a case of sort of the last thing I looked at is lingering in my mind. But I've been listening to um, at le- uh, Mike Duncan's very good podcast, Revolutions. It just ended literally just the last week, uh, covering all the various revolutions of uh, human history. And you know we talk about uh, on the show we talk a lot about socialism and things like that because it's tie it's often tied in with the history of the kind of things we we write about. Uh, it's a very good context for all that kind of stuff. But he just he he talks about uh, like Lenin and. And Lenin was probably inspired by a lot of science fiction writings, but it was also part of the stew that generated these kinds of ideas in the late 19th and earliest 20th centuries. There was a lot. There were a lot of people who were like seeing themselves as these sort of idealized robotic judgment makers who could, you know, pass judgment on all of humanity and sort of say, "Oh yes, we must." Uh, as I say, like we must call the herd, and it would be better if we all did calisthenics for an hour every morning and <laughs> ate nothing. And vegetarianism was actually big at that time because that was that was the sign of an advanced uh, person because they didn't eat meat anymore. And you know, like so, health was a big thing, uh, but like a weird idea of health that they had in the Victorian era, rather more than our different our modern idea of health. And uh, so I'm just thinking about like, and he was very fanatical and a lot of revolutionaries have been that way over the years. They've been very fanatical and, and about, and when they, and then when they ruled in sort of some of the socialist countries, it was always the idea of like, yes, well, we'll, we'll adhere to these ideas and we'll, we'll, we'll like, you know, we've got to centralize all the, the economy. It's all going to be based around this one, you know, the way we dictate, that it should be done. And they, like the, that kind of mindset really took off in the 19th century, whether it was socialism or capitalism or, but the leadership, but this idea that like, because the, the, um, the uh, enlightenment had really kicked in and people were starting to sort of make a God out of science. And, and there were people who were applying it to like, well, we can control how people live and it will be for the betterment of mankind. And that led to stuff like eugenics, which again, were, wasn't initially a bad term. It was a, it was just an idea that people thought would improve humanity's lot if we had eugenics, because everyone would be genetically superior and then, and nobody thought through some of the real world consequences of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and a, a big thing about, um, the, the way the main character in this is he, he's thinking about like ideals, but he doesn't really think about how people would actually react to this. Like mm-hmm. um, exactly. a lot of people point out like sitting around in this building that you're not allowed to leave for a year and you can get visitors and it would presumably eventually be other old people coming in there um, to wait out their time. But like, it would be horrifying to just sit through and like you know exactly yeah. when you're gonna die. That's the crazy yeah. part. Having a having, putting giving them a year like if if you know you have a year left to live, you're just gonna be fenced. Like make that last year as miserable as possible. Why would you do it that way? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, he keeps saying like there, there's great trees and you can there's great walking space and you know you'll you'll be really happy there. And mm. he doesn't seem to like understand that <laughs> this would. Feel like you're in prison because you are. Yeah, yeah. We'll send. They send people to a farm upstate on this, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like this is pointed out to him, and he, he does take it in a little bit and say, okay, maybe some of the details have to be changed. Maybe the the age is the wrong thing. You know, the the specific age, and um, and, and he like he, he 
discusses this with uh, about uh, Crassweller because Crassweller is in in great shape for his age, and um, he says, you know, this is about uh, a general uh, for the general population. Usually around sixty seven, your your mind starts to go and you're uh, not able to accomplish things. So and and we have to be. We have to be fair about this. We have to, you know, uh, go to the overall population and not, you know, make special exemptions for people who, you know, um, like he, he really thinks he's being he's being fair and um, uh, uh, reasonable and <laughs> about this. But it, it's like it's just a horrifying idea. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's clear uh, that this is yeah, this is like maybe the broader sense of like people proposing all these brilliant ideas in sort of smoke filled back rooms about how to best manage society. And as soon as someone actually goes, Hey, have you ever tried thinking about how this would, how, how anyone would, uh, would, would, would go through this in practice, you know? Um, I mean, any, there, you can argue that for almost any policy, you know, it's most of them tend to be well-meaning and then there's always some horrible catch basically, but I mean, this in particular, these kind of these these brilliant sweeping societal, they were being proposed at a pretty fast rate around this time, whether they were enacted yeah. or not. Um, there were certainly a lot of people saying, you know, hey, I have a great idea. I, I remember reading about uh, again, it was, I believe, a socialist colony that apparently believed one of their central one of their central uh, premises is that um, they would uh, match everyone according to something like 3000 human types. It was like uh, the uh, what's what's the thing where they match you according to the four letters or whatever the the oh yeah the, I, I can't remember uh, they they um uh, but the, yeah they would they had a giant filing system built and they they tried to make sure like oh your type you know x y y x x so you go with type z z y a b you know like <laughs> it was yeah. it was all based on dating that and it was this was a socialist commune that existed somewhere in the 19th century there was a lot of you know what we what we think of as socialism is kind of narrowed down to a specific thing but a lot of it was just like we're going to run our society in any kind of pseudo scientific or pseudo scientific way that is not in conformance with like a monarchy could be <laughs> vaguely lumped under socialism and there were some apparently pretty weird and crackpot ideas out there so that i yeah, think this is my, not that far from reality actually this with the way you're describing yeah, yeah. um that reminds me of a simpsons bit with uh apu asking um uh, can com do you think computers will be used for dating well yes they could but i think the matches would be so accurate that it would eliminate the entire um thrill of romantic conquest <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Well, we'll maintain the thrill of suspense by cutting to commercial right now. We'll be right back on What Mad Universe. The Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Uh, Why do you have such a problem making boomerangs shaped like a bat? You mean Jerk. like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me! Bruce Wayne, I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. <laughs> Dennis! Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. As a fan of podcasts, you've probably thought about starting one of your own. Introducing the new HyperX DuoCast. The DuoCast has all the essential features an aspiring podcaster would want from a USB mic with HyperX favorites like Tap to Mute and a vibrant mute indicator. 
It's compact and elegantly styled, perfect for situations where you want a mic that looks great, but isn't too extra. Check out the new HyperX Duocast, available at Target.com or shop direct at HyperX.com. Yeah, uh, another thing, they, uh, this uh, book brings up uh, um, other cases of, of the state killing people, uh, specifically uh, capital punishment and war, um, which uh, never, because a, a lot of people, uh, uh, when arguing with uh, Neverbend, uh, refer to this as murder, and he's horrified, because, like, is, you know, the state executing somebody murder? That's, no, because it's legal. Um <laughs> And he actually uh, points out that um, Britannula doesn't have the death penalty uh, for crimes, and Britain still does uh, in this world. Um, so he's actually uh, trying to sort of say they're they're more humane than Britain is. Mm. Yeah, again, um, I could I can see that of the sort of like that that some of these um, just you know utopian socialist ideas getting into like let's abolish the death penalty but also let's put them to death in this situation you know <laughs> yeah well he really thinks that that uh this is going to be like an an honor that uh people will be that they're bestowing on the old mm-hmm. that, you know they're they're willingly sacrificing themselves for the good of everybody else and, yeah yeah you know they'll be paraded through the streets before their their deposition and it'll be like a like literal parades and, yeah um, uh, you know, uh, like sons will, you know, be honored to deposit their, their elderly fathers. <laughs> yeah. Into the, yeah. Um, and, um, that's why I brought up it, Lenin. It, that that's the kind yeah, of thing yeah. he, he was that kind of guy. He was like, I've got this brilliant idea for how society is going to be. Why doesn't everyone just agree with me on it? <laughs> Don't you see how much better it would be if we did it this way? You know? So, yeah. And other characters like, uh, Eva Crassweller, the, the daughter of the guy who's, um, going to be deposited um she she says you know maybe this wouldn't be so bad if this were going on for the last hundred years and it was like a matter of course but this is the first time this is happening and i have to live through this and it's like it's um Hmm. it's not something i was like brought up uh to under like seeing happening all the time and um and i i think that there's there's some truth to that not that i i I think people would fight against this particular thing, um, even if it were going on for, if it had been going on for a while. But mm. uh, there, there is some truth to the, to the uh, idea that um, uh, when something just happens every day around you, mm-hmm. um, it sort of becomes normalized. Right. Yeah. It, it, um, yeah. I, I, I see what you're. I, I think that's true, and I, I actually do think if it had been a regular thing and the culture had gotten used to it, that yeah, people would probably kick back on it less. Although at the same time, you have the idea because um, you know, <laughs> I'd even to inject a little politics to say that some of the problems we're having in our current society is that so many people in power, the older older people are clinging to power uh, to such a degree. You'd have to have a society like as soon as the old people start to to uh, approach the edge if they have any power at all, they're, which they very frequently do because they're the older people have you know built up a, a reputation and wealth and all that kind of stuff. It's going to get undone pretty quickly because wait a minute, I don't want to go to I don't want to be put to death basically. Yeah, um, and, and uh, never Ben keeps talking about you know the, the old the old men who are running Britain and um, and there there is some truth to that that you know. Uh, 
look, look at the age of people in, in Congress in the U.S., you know, the right. average age of, exactly. of um, uh, serving, uh, yeah, politicians. Uh, Does that come up in this book at all? Like, do they talk about, oh, yeah, people have gotten too old and they, they you know, it's it's better to just keep the, the, the leadership young or do they talk about that at all? Or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, like I said, he, he mentions, you know, that um, – um, that the leadership of Great Britain are all like seventy-year-olds, and right. um, they're they're stuck in the prejudices of their time and stuff. Uh, I mean, he the the narrator always frames this as like the fixed period is like a um, a sweeping reform that will benefit society, and everybody who disagrees with it is at least in some way prejudiced against it, mm-hmm. um, um, as opposed to it being a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know you you have to sort of uh, understand that everything in this this character says is sort of built around that. But he does he does make a few points, not not necessarily in its favor, but uh, in the fact that this is. Um, I mean, it's different from how society currently operates, but it's similar in a lot of ways too. If if you does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like, like a lot of the ideas in the fixed period are are already present in the w- the way we function. Like you mentioned, the the death penalty. You know, if the state kills somebody, then it's not murder. Right. Um. Or war. You know, if if a soldier kills somebody, you know, they they don't call it murder generally. <laughs> I mean, they do, but not the not the mainstream. Yes. But, yeah. 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 The uh, capital city is called Gladstonopolis, named after uh, Sir William Gladstone, who, uh, but this is the uh, grandson of the Sir William Gladstone, who was a politician at the time of the writing of the book. Right. Um, he wasn't yet prime minister, but he was uh, like a popular um, politician at the time. Uh, there's also a, a little Christchurch that's... Um, um, Christchurch being a New Zealand mm-hmm. place. Yeah, Trollope, um, apparently he did live in uh, Australia, New Zealand, by the way. That So that's part of yeah, de- that. Yeah, that definitely tracks because it, it does seem to be um, aware of a lot of sort of local stuff about New Zealand, at least in the 1800s. Um, though it is funny to, to imagine all these characters with New Zealand accents because they just seem so British <laughs> in the way they talk. But I guess, you know... Yeah. I think the upper classes um, of Australia and New Zealand have a very British uh, thing, uh, British aesthetic to them, I would say. Just, it's true in, here in Canada to an extent, too. I mean, it certainly would have been in the 19th century uh, that some of the... Yeah. yeah. Also, that this is set in the 1980s, you know. Um, it's impossible to, to read this book and not imagine them all dressed like Victorians, but is it is kind of funny to just sort of um, think about them dressed in 1980s fashions. <laughs> You know, when they mentioned a character's handsome mustache, it's like a Tom Selleck mustache. Hmm. I don't know. That amused <laughs> me, um, re- reading through it. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, uh, Crassweller decides um, uh, he, he doesn't like that uh, he has to go through this, but uh, he's going to because he said he would. Basically, it's like an honor thing. You know, I, I, I said I would, so I'll do it. I won't be happy about it. I'll grumble through the whole thing rightfully so um but as you parade me through the streets and um it will uh i'll be there but i i won't uh be happy about it basically but as soon as um uh during this parade as he's about to be deposited 
the uh, uh, English uh, Navy arrives, and they have a, a giant steamship uh, parked uh, outside Gladstonopolis and uh, just sort of allude to the fact that they have a big gun that could level the entire city. Not that this, they're going to, but, you know. And this would be this the a, communist British Navy, right? You said everyone else had gone communist? No, no, just that a lot of uh, new countries had gone communist. Oh, okay, all right. No, no, Britain's still the same Britain. Oh, okay, it all right. It was in the Victorian era. Okay. We're, we're harping a lot on the communist thing. It was a throwaway line at the beginning. Mm. A lot of newer countries had gone communist. And, um, uh, Never Ben was just sort of uh, singing his own country's praises by saying, you know, we we did all this and we didn't have to go communist sort of thing. <laughs> right. Um because it, it does actually seem to be a prosperous country, other other than the uh, uh, other than the killing um, old people thing. Yeah, which to be fair, they they didn't actually get to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like most of the characters, most of the other uh, city, aren't that uh, obsessed with this idea as Neverbend is. He seems to be, but because he's so popular in general, his sort of will is driving. Uh, uh, this law being enacted, that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's what the, the English decide as well, that uh, they do not want this law enacted because, uh, uh, I mean, for, for obvious good reasons, but also because the leadership in England are all old men and they, they don't want this sort of thing to catch on. Right, right. Um, okay, I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, um, and they uh, decide that, um, yeah, you, you've... Um, You've done well financially, but this law is, uh, you can't be a country anymore. <laughs> we're, we're just going to annex you back. Mm. Um, Britain um, telling people that they can't be a country? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and uh, Never Ben keeps going on about how great an injustice this is and how, you know, unprecedented and, you know, horrifying it is. Um, and, and it's kind of funny because it is, because England going and deciding another another independent country's laws uh, is wrong, but on the other hand, this particular law is right. uh, really stupid. Yeah. So again, I, I sort of like the balance of, like, he's got a point, but he's still wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. We have to save, so, um, we have to spread our freedoms to the to this other country, this <laughs> backwards country. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, a never bend is... Um, declared by the English to be too popular in his home country, and that if he sticks around, they'll eventually do this. Um, so they're just going to ship him back to England. And this whole book uh, is apparently written as a memoir as he's being transferred across the sea. Uh, and he, uh, it, it's unclear exactly what he's going to be facing in England, because they, they will not tell him anything. But um, it seems that he's going to be allowed to just sort of live in England and, and preach his own, because uh, uh, Neverbend keeps talking about how the um, he's not known in England. He doesn't have any friends there, so it's going to be hard to get a, uh, a position in to talk about, because he's still all about spreading this idea, uh, the fixed period. He's very fixed on it, uh, if you will. Um, um, oh, I... We're clear that the fixed period means the fixed period of one's life. Yeah, 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 I got that. Sixth. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but in case people didn't, just, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and that's the the official name of the law in in the book. Um, and so we're sort of end on we sort of end on a um, uh, a note uh, with um, an unclear future whether he'll be. Um, I I imagine him just being like a, a guy um, uh, standing on street corners handing out pamphlets to people hmm. who just throw them in the trash afterwards. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. It, it ends with a, a few a sort of con- friendly debates with a uh, a sailor on board named Sir Percy, uh, Sir Alfred Percy, uh, who um, uh, is against the fixed period, but um, uh, never been seems to hold him in high regard as a, a person of. Uh, again, like all the people he disagrees with, he thinks they're prejudiced in some way, but he usually respects them in ways that he doesn't respect. Some of the people on his own side, right, which you is interesting. That, yeah, with the exception of uh, Sir Ferdinando Brown, who's the governor who takes over, who never been does clearly does not like. Hmm. Um, but um, uh, other than that, most of his political opponents he seems to to at least respect on a personal level, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, obviously, this this. Um, basic premise has been used in a lot of science fiction since then. Um, uh, probably the most uh, notable Logan's Run, mm-hmm. which uh, I haven't read the book, but uh, and I hadn't actually seen the movie, but I, I watched it yesterday. Oh, you uh, that was for the first time, eh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't seen it before. I'd seen like parodies of it and stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, in the book, it's 20, when you turn 21. Uh, rather than, okay. and, they, and they changed it because Michael York was the lead is was over twenty one, so they they just yeah. they've had to make that work. I I do think I've people have proposed making a remake of that for a while, and I do actually think it would be good to make one where they were all like actual teenagers or you know or very young adults uh, because uh, like that has I think more impact because the point is that the society would be a huge mess if nobody could make it past yeah. the age of twenty one, right? So. But in, in the movie, yeah. they made it, you know, don't trust anyone over 30. Like, that's literally <laughs> what they were joking about. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the movie is, is quite good. It was directed by Michael Anderson, who also did the, uh, the Dam Busters and some other, some other good movies that I'd seen. Mm. Um, it's got really uh, interesting special effects for the time. I really like that retro seven. I mean, it wasn't retro at the time, but that 70s future. And I, I was saying on Twitter, I wish it sort of, um, became a subgenre in its own right, the way like a cyberpunk has. Right. You know, like we could do like I don't know what you would call seventies future style <laughs> future because we get like fifties and sixties style future stuff right. still, like the Jetsons look and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But the seventies had its own idea of what the future right. would look like. Well, it's ultra, is interesting ultra, in its own right. Ultra modernism is kind of what we refer to it. We don't talk about it as like steampunk but you could you yeah ultra modern punk <laughs> is what you'd call it yeah sorry. yeah that doesn't sound good yeah. i don't know um but yeah um, naga high uh, punk <laughs> formica punk <laughs> um what was uh they always put wood paneling on everything yeah right punk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know um but yeah uh and the movie uh uh uh, I, I knew this going in, uh, unfortunately, because I, I wish I could have been blindsided by all the um, Cats lyrics uh, being recited, because they keep quoting right. uh, T.S. Eliot's T.S. Eliot, yeah. uh, Cats poems yeah. that were the basis for the Cats musical. So yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, hearing a, a character just recite the entirety of, like, or 
in, entire paragraphs from like Gus the Theater Cat and and you know McCavity. Uh, I I would have liked to have been uh, had my mind blown by that, but yeah. uh, I knew it going in. Unfortunately, right. another thing that um, uses another sci-fi uh, that uses the basic premise is uh, the Next Generation episode Half a Life with uh, David Ogden Stiers about that planet where they they put their old people to death at the age of 60 or whatever and there was and it's the it's a Loxana Troy episode where she's she's dating the older scientist and he's uh, you know he's and he's trying to literally save the planet but they're going to you know he's not going to be allowed to continue on his uh, <laughs> on his work because he has to go home and die basically and uh, and actually it, it it also deals with the sort of social ramifications of it so I wonder if they were inspired a bit by this or I, it's one of those things where maybe the, a lot of people haven't read the original book but it kind of trickled in and I, there, there's probably a, I think there's a Twilight Zone on this that's got a similar premise and um, oh probably so I, yeah. I I think it kind of fed through one or two different layers and then just became a big pop cultural trope. But uh, yeah, but I, I find it interesting that the book doesn't like it's set a hundred years in the future, but it doesn't present a society in which this has already been enacted. It's the it's the first attempt to enact this, and mm-hmm. it, it actually fails. Right. I, I think that's that's an interesting. I mean, it, it's the first take on this probably in fiction. So um, as a sci-fi premise, so um, um, it's sort of interesting that that's the direction it went. Yeah. That's that's that might be a deliberate thing on Trollope's uh, example of like yeah we always see this we always see these crazy policies have having become part of society but we never see how it gets started in the first place right which is kind of interesting yeah and it would be very hard to start a policy <laughs> like this for reasons we've discussed mm. mostly being that uh, you know even if you sign on to it when you're young you're probably not going to still agree with it by the time you're 67 yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, again, as I say, that's probably something they could more plausibly set up at that time because people were coming up with all kinds of crazy ideas and starting, you know, little yeah. communes to try and do that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's an interesting book. I actually only heard about it uh, because I was uh, years ago. Um, and I, I think uh, this is the same way I found out about uh, A Planet for Texans, which we did an episode on. But going through uh, LibriVox's science fiction section uh, years back and just came across this. And um, all, all I remember from the description at the time was uh, a fictional country set in the year 1980 and there's a steam-powered cricket match. Hmm. And But that, that alone sort of, I don't know, that sounds kind of interesting. So a uh, um, little while ago, I, I, uh, or, uh, I think last year, um, I uh, tracked down, you know, I had vague recollections of reading that description, so um, I, I had to sort of do some detective work because I wasn't sure if it was a cricket game or a baseball game. I knew it was a steam-powered sport of some sort, but I eventually found it. Um, and at the time, uh, listening to the LibriVox thing, when I was um, reread it for uh, the purposes of this podcast, I decided to actually go back and read the um, uh, text version um, just to sort of get the same thing in through a different, you know, method of, of taking in the information. Right. Um, uh, and also because the, the LibriVox version of that book wasn't that good. It was a bunch of different volunteers of varying quality. Mm. So um, I prefer it when it's one speaker, generally. I see. Um, 
Anyway, um, it's it's an interesting book. It, it doesn't ha seem to have a lot of uh, direct impact. Uh, I mean, maybe, uh, as you mentioned, maybe the next generation writers had read this, but probably. Well, as not. you say, I think I think um, it's removed a few uh, by a few, uh, like a generation or two removed, so to speak, um, because as I say, it is that is definitely a big staple in sci-fi. So it and and Anthony Trollope's a pretty well-regarded writer from what i understand i think he's had his comings and goings but he was uh, he was definitely he's definitely a well-known british writer uh so yeah i think uh i yeah and this is apparently not only his only uh like science fiction book it's also uh the only book he wrote from a first person perspective which is interesting because that i mean it's not a uh, uh unreliable narrator per se because he's not lying about the situations he uh, he's in but it's definitely a narrator that disagrees with the writer you know on the fundamental points mm -hmm. um and i, I yeah it, it's it's an interesting character study at least in, in that respect and an interesting examination of some of these ideas even though uh the central idea is you don't have to examine it that much but it is sort of interesting to to do that anyway yeah <laughs> like it's bad on its face but it is sort of interesting to um even accepting that sort of go in and, you know, how would this work if you did it? Like all the different ways it wouldn't work besides the obvious, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a short, it's just short little book. I, I would recommend it to people. Uh, if any of this sounds interesting, mm. um, I gave away the basic plot, but it's not really like a, a plot driven thing. No. It's more like a, a vibe, I suppose. Yeah. Um, like he mentions that he's been, that, at the beginning of the book that he's writing this while he's on a steamship bound for England and that, you know, he's been deposed and all that. So it's one of those things where it's not like trying to surprise you with twists or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's a pretty standard anyway. thing of the time, which is a novel that's there to advance. Well, I mean, going back to Jonathan Swift even, but um, you know, it's a, it's been a, a regular thing in, in, sci-fi and soto sci-fi yeah. of just here's a crazy it's not about the plot it's about what if this happened what if there was a weird yeah. guy but but i think there's some interesting um interrogations of some of these ideas and mm -hmm. um yeah I, I i would i would recommend it it's it's a short book it's it's easy to read you can find it online for free um so uh that's always a plus for me well, the fixed period of this podcast is coming to an end, and we must deposit ourselves into the college to spare the rest of society from the burdens of our infirmity. We've been Philip Rice, uh, deposed president of the Republic, and Adam Prosser, steam-powered cricketer. Our producer was Alex Ross, who threatened us with the full force of the British uh, military, and our theme song was written by Jack Fierick, who steadfastly refused to get deposited. Uh, just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, uh, which helps pay for hosting costs and whatnot. Uh, if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, uh, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations of comics, among other things. Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2Ss. Or go to neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me, or Spearhafok A for Philip. And uh, just a reminder that uh, I'm the comics editor of HeroesLive.tv, so go check that out for some good... Uh, if, if you subscribe, there's a big uh, array of uh, comics uh, PDFs that can be downloaded, so have a look at that as well. 
Okay, so until next time, remember to die young and leave a beautiful corpse. Hmm. Uh, we can say that, right? Yeah, we can. 